say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. I'm a little bit out of breath because I forgot we were only doing two songs, Box, and I just ran. So the first two were awesome. Um, I've got a question for you tonight about a question. Yes, I just triple stamped the double stamp. You're welcome. But my question for you tonight is imagine when you walked in this room, you saw someone that you knew, and they asked you this question. These words came out of their mouth. What in the world are you doing here? How would you take that? Would that be something that gets you excited or would that be something that gets you depressed? Well, of course, context clues are everything. One, it depends on what kind of relationship you have with the person. And two, it depends on what kind of inflection they use. If you walked in and someone looked at you and said, what in the world are you doing here? Uh, that's basically what we call a shame grenade. Uh, they just think that they're better than you or they know something about you and you might run out of here crying, depressed, or you might wanna get in a scuffle and ask them to step up to the mic, check one, check two, right? Depending on how they said it. What if the person lit up with a smile and shouted at the top of their lungs, what in the world are you doing here? What does that mean? I'm so excited to see you, I can't believe you're here. My world has gotten better because you're here and I can't wait to catch up and connect with you. It's a good question. And actually it's one that I've asked myself several times in my life. And it served both as a prompt for repentance and also praise. Because I know there's been many times in my life, I don't know about yours, but I've kind of muttered and sighed and looked around at where I was in life and said to myself, what in the world am I doing here? I feel like the younger brother and the prodigal son in those moments where you know you've run off and run away from God and your father and you've taken all the resources and relationships that have been trusted to you and you've squandered them on your own selfish motives and ambitions. And one day you look up at the mess you've made with the choices you've made and the pig slop of your life and you just kind of mutter, what in the world am I doing here? Why don't I go back to my father's house? But it's also been a proclamation of praise for me. Sometimes I look around and I go, what in the world am I doing here? I don't know about you guys, but I reflect back on my life. I was a below average student from the mountains of Pennsylvania. I was a below average Christian who was just trying to negotiate and barter with God. I wanted to see with how much sin and pleasure I could get away with and still call myself Christian. And then one day I just decided to go for it. Uh, John Wesley in the uh, 1700s wrote a book that talked about most Christians have not gone all the way with Jesus. They're only half-hearted and playing around at this game called Christianity. And I just decided to stop playing games and I told the Lord, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna follow you with everything I got, no matter how messy or inconsistent or how many times I might need to come back and repent, let's go for it. And then today I just look around at my life, the friends that I have around me in every season, 
the team I have, the church I get to serve at, my kids, my spouse. I walk home and there's food in my refrigerator. What in the world am I doing here? I've made so many wrong decisions, yet God in his love and his mercy allows me to return again and again and continues to show favor and blessing. What in the world am I doing here calling myself pastor and leading a congregation called Kairos? That's our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. It's truly remarkable. Those are two questions, one question asked two different ways that I think will serve as a cipher for us as we come tonight to the Lord's table. So if you're new with us, about once a month, we like to take Eucharist together. That's a fancy Greek word that means thanksgiving or grace. It's the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table. We come together as the children of God and as the family of God to be reminded about the death and the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. It's tactile, it's wonderful, and it's very important. We're in the middle of a series called Things You Don't Need to Pray About. And one of the things you don't need to pray about is taking the Lord's Supper. If you are a child of God, he's commanded you, do it until he comes again. Now, we certainly need to give some attention in prayer to how, why, and when we take it. But as A.W. Tozer said, prayer is no substitute for obedience. So tonight as the children of God, we're gonna obey what Jesus asked us to do, to show his death until he comes again. And in our text tonight, Paul is addressing this very issue in the church in Corinth. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll start reading in verse 23, and I'll pray for us as we're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master, that's Jesus himself, and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like a part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him as death. Is that the kind of remembrance you wanna be a part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Come to this meal with holy awe. So if you want to read a little bit more in the context of that chapter, Paul gets pretty straightforward and blunt and rebukes the Corinthian church for the way that they're taking the Lord's Supper. 
Now, here's what I love about this. They're doing it all the wrong ways, but he doesn't say, that's it, stop taking Lord's Supper, time out for all of you. He says, no, 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 let's go back to basics. This is still for you and you can do it appropriately. This is a challenge for me as a pastor and as a father, because I don't know about you guys, when my kids start to use and abuse things that I've given them out of my goodness to hurt one another and to use it for fighting and division, I go Captain Caveman on them. I don't know if you know what that cartoon is. Look it up on YouTube when you get out of here. It was prolific and awesome for a five-year-old kid. It's some caveman who, when he gets mad, he just goes, Captain Caveman! And then he just smashes stuff. And that was the height of my life and entertainment as a five-year-old. And when my kids start to do that, I just want to start smashing stuff. You guys are fighting over a phone? Captain Caveman! Smash it! You're fighting over that box I just gave you? Smash it. Like, stop. No. What I need to do as a father and a pastor is pull them aside and go, the way that you're using that is not appropriate. This was meant to draw you closer together and bring you joy. So that's exactly what Paul's doing here. It's interesting, there, uh, there's so many abuses happening. This is centered around a fellowship meal, potluck meal, if you guys ever been to that at one of your churches, when everybody comes with their best dishes and shows out and you get to eat your fill, especially as a kid, you didn't cook nothing, you didn't bring nothing to the table, but you could fill up your plate 10 times and eat as many desserts as you want and God was good and you were in. That's part of the holy love fest that they're having. They're sharing meals, they're sacrificing together. It's incredible. And they're showing the Lord's death until he comes. And the most incredible part about this thing, they were causing ripples in the first century because of who was all coming to the table together. It didn't matter what your gender was, what your color was, how much money you had what your social economical status was, what your employment status was. They were all gathering together, not being a respecter of persons and saying every single one of us has worthiness and dignity because we've been made in the image of God. Somewhere along the way, it got sidetracked. The rich people started bringing food and pushed the poor people to the side and they started shoving their faces. They started getting drunk on the communion wine and they were neglecting the poor because sometimes that may have been the only decent meal they were gonna get that week. So Paul says, oh, don't come to the table irreverently. This was meant to be a picture of the kingdom of God set right down in your midst. We have to protect the picture. You guys have divisions outside of the church and you're bringing it into your worship, the one place that was meant to abolish all the dividing walls of hostility. Don't you remember that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you? How dare you treat your brothers and sisters in a way that degrades them? And so I wonder what that means for us as we come to the table together tonight. I don't want us to come irreverently. I want us to come with holy awe. And maybe one of the way that we examine our motives is ask ourselves that question. What in the world am I doing here? And for some of us, that'll lead us as a cry of repentance. There's choices we've made, relationships we've fractured, that we know we're far away from where God is calling us to be but let it become a cry that makes you long to return home to your father's house and to the table of Jesus. 
There's some of us at that moment, hopefully if it's a cry of confession and repentance, once we invite Jesus in on it and acknowledge his life, his death and his resurrection, his forgiveness and his freedom and his joy that he's offering to us once again, it can transform and switch from lamentation to celebration, from repentance to an unbelievable recognition that God still loves me and is still pursuing me even when I mess up. And then our cry, what in the world am I doing here, moves from being a sad song to a joyful praise. And it starts to rise like the sun on resurrection morning. What in the world am I doing here? I can't believe that God still invites me to his table of love, justice, mercy, relationship, and responsibility. And no matter how many times I've walked away and screwed up, not only is it the place for me at the table, he's got a role for me in the kingdom. What in the world am I doing here with my brothers and sisters? We've been adopted and co-opted by the king and into his kingdom. And therefore, I dare not insult the blood of Jesus by coming in an unworthy manner. And I dare not insult the blood of Jesus by staying away from the table and listening to the enemy's lies that says, unless I am perfect, I have no place at this table. You are not perfect, but a perfect God has adopted you into his family and he has pulled out a table for you tonight. And the most insulting thing you could do is come in an irreverent and unholy manner and not sit down. We are his children and whom he is well pleased because of the blood of Jesus. So Kairos, let us come to the table together tonight with holy awe, being courteous and reverent to our brothers and sisters, making sure that there's no unaddressed divisions among us. And let our cry of repentance and our proclamation of praise rise up from our voices. What in the world are we doing here? We're here because Jesus has invited us to his table. Now the only question left is, will you accept the invitation? Amen? So we'll go through our confession and our liturgy, again, to remind us, let's hopefully not let familiarity breed contempt, but renew our passion and our understanding of what it is that the Lord is offering to us. Bless the Lord who forgives all of our sins. We're getting there, let's try it again. Let me pull the, pull the chair out one more time. Bless the Lord who forgives all of our sins. You sound good, family. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our heart by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us take a minute to confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Don't be afraid to name it, child. He already knows. Don't let the voice of shame and fear creep in. 
It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Let us pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this for remembrance of me. Therefore, Kairos, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith, with thanksgiving. The way this will work is we'll have some of our servers come up and we like to come forward and take Eucharist here. Um, I'll have my wife join me and we'll demonstrate this. When you come forward, you can just line up, no pushing or shoving because that's what the text told us not to do. When you get forward, um, I have a wafer here and I'll put it in your hands and we'll lock eyes with each other. Let's make eye contact and I'll say the body of Christ or the bread of heaven. And then your response that we like to do here is you say back to whoever's serving you, I will love and be loved. That's our way to summarize the great commandment. That's our way to renew our vows with Jesus and make the covenant promise that we will receive his love and we will offer it to others. Hold on to the wafer, don't eat it. It's not a common cup. That gets embarrassing sometimes. Um, And then Audrey will say the cup of salvation and you'll dip it in and you can take it right there after you say, I will love and be loved. The repetition is important. And I know we run the risk of letting liturgy and repetitive phrases breed contempt but sometimes you have to say them multiple times before you really recognize and believe what it is that you're saying. So there's hand sanitizer on the edge of the bleachers for any of you who need an actual tactile expression of cleansing yourself before you come to the table. You can smell it, it wakes you up sometimes. I don't do that, but I have a friend who does it. Oh gosh. I'm gonna serve uh, our worship leaders first so they can continue serving us through worship. And in just a minute, I'll invite the balcony to come down first. And one of the great things that we get to do during this time 
is as we are singing, we get to sing to the Lord and over our brothers and sisters who are taking part of Eucharist. Sound good? All right. Servers, if you'll come at this time, band, if you'll come at this time. Yeah, you